0: Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news.
1: Timeless started uh, in 2000, like the idea started around 2010 um, and officially you know, formed in about 2011. Um, it started, Timeless started out as a clothing uh, streetwear brand um, out of Arizona. Um myself and our my co-founder our our co-founder Sean Williams, um, we were running a print shop uh, printing you know printing t-shirts and doing embroidery uh, for local businesses and specifically trying to concentrate on up and coming streetwear brands. um, so giving them an outlet to produce their products all while you know with the with the vision of you know developing our own line. Uh, so in 2011, end of 2011, we, during that time, you know, just clothing in general was always a passion of mine. So uh, we were collecting on the side, collecting a bunch of, you know, vintage Supreme, uh, Bape, um, some other Japanese brands um, over, the, over the previous couple of years. Um, so we came up with a plan to open up a shop in on mill avenue in arizona on asu's campus and it focused on the reselling of supreme and babe and those other brands i you know that uh had that community um and it was mostly underground community um so a lot of the things that we were sourcing from a vintage standpoint were like forums and whatnot Um, So the lead on the, on the model was to open up a reselling shop while also, you know, incorporating some of our own timeless branded products in there as well. Um, And, you know, through that time, you know, meeting with artists and, you know, working with the community, cannabis was always a big part of that culture. Um, uh, I grew up, you know, with cannabis um, being part of my life, specifically in college um, so built a lot of relationships from a lot of my roommates that I grew up with there um, from the Pac Northwest and uh, North Northern California. Um, so that being involved with us doing streetwear and clothing, um, obviously kept in touch with a lot of my um, you know peers from college, and, and uh, they were doing stuff in cannabis while you know in the Pac Northwest in California. Um, so when we went medically legal in Arizona. Um, I kind of dug a li- dug in a little bit more, kind of reached out to them um, and discovered that one of the, those groups, particularly um, they were working with ex- cannabis extractions um, and in particularly vapes. So they were emptying out e-cigarettes. So I, I believe in 2010, 11, from a mainstream standpoint, e-cigarettes were kind of starting to hit the market. So we were emptying out e-cigarettes and refilling them with crude oil. Um, and that's kind of when I first discovered, you know, vapes in about 2010, uh, cannabis vapes. Um, so learned a little bit more, uh, kept on doing the clothing side of things. Um, and in 2012, we found someone that had won a license in Arizona. Um, and we made a decision to transition uh, the focal point of the business to a cannabis with all while still keeping the the whole culture and community aspect of it um, within the, the that space. So we moved the name over Timeless to, uh, from to a cannabis product um, and continue to, um, you know, refine the product and, you know, build that community as we were doing it. But um, that's kind of the, I guess, starting point of Timeless, the brand.
0: And are you guys still a, a pretty big uh, apparel or or sort of, you know, brand excluding cannabis? Uh, we always have, we
1: always joke internally, um, you know, with leadership and the team is that uh, uh, because that's how kind of how it started, you know, it's a, it definitely is an intricate part considering the limitations on cannabis marketing in general so we you do use that arm very aggressively because first of all because we know it and second of all you know the options that we have but yes to answer your question it is a big part of us building the brand is the merch side of things um, and the
0: community events um revolved around that and then you guys are the, the number one vape brand in Arizona as to, uh, as of today, right? Uh, yes. And, and so help me understand sort of, you know, when you sort of hit that number one market share standpoint, and then when you started to expand to additional markets, because as of today, you're in an additional four states, California, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Ohio. So just help me understand when you, you made the choice to go out of Arizona.
1: Uh, so we made the choice to go out of Arizona, I believe in end of 2017. Um, I think that was the, the, the our big, you know, pivotal point in the company. Um, 2017, we really gained a lot of market share um, in the vape category specifically. Um, so we started to look elsewhere, and uh, Oklahoma kind of fell in our lap. Um, and I believe we opened Oklahoma in 2018. Um, I had a childhood uh, friend had moved out there a few years back and um, that was in discussion that they were going to go launch a medical program so we it was more opportunistic than anything else Um, it was just the fact that we had somebody there and so Oklahoma was our second market Um, California we were in and out trying to figure out you know as you know the, the the rules and regulations even back then were just as you know confusing as they are now, um, but we we were looking at California, um, so it officially launched in California in 2020. And, and where's your market share in in, in those markets roughly today? Um, I believe uh, you know with so in let's see here, uh, California still. A still a work in progress right now still um but uh oklahoma i believe we you know per some data we're the number two vape there um and missouri i believe we're one or two there now now that they're recreational so I'll, that one's doing well in ohio um still on a, on a very refined our very new market um in ohio so I don't know the numbers there necessarily, but um, we're we're doing very well, you know, per, you know, at least what we believe internally. And then um, Oklahoma State, yeah, that's it. Those ones.
0: And, and are you guys um, licensing out to partners in each of those four markets outside of Arizona? Or do you have uh, like your own licenses in some of those markets? So
1: we kind of run a, you know, a unique model. I mean, I think it's starting to kind of, not be as rare now but when we like we felt uh, that the core of our business was really you know in Arizona when we first started was how we were able to engage with the consumers and the com- the rest of the community um, outside of the dispensary um, so we caught we felt that you know you know to be able to really get those points across, you really had to have those touch points um, from start to finish. So when we looked at um, expanding uh, Oklahoma being the first, uh, we we decided that we wanted to run our own operations, um, not necessarily own the license as a company, but to be able to to be an operator right um so we well, our model is you know like i said is starting to become a little bit more um common but we we operate in every single one of our markets um so we what we do we run a decentralized model um from you know obviously the nature of the business is like that but, but we kind of uh, have leaned into that so we hired local talent within those communities and then build a team around them uh, with
0: guidelines from headquarters. So it's more the, the model where rather than you getting 15%, you're probably capturing 85% you, you may be paying someone in, and again I'm making up those numbers 15% to use some of their space to use some use their license, right? Is is that exactly. more so the model? Exactly. Okay, great. And and then you know kind of take us back a, a bit before you started Timeless. You were actually, um, you know, co-founders with, with your co-founder here, at Timeless Sean in Molly Water, which is an alkaline water company. Um, I've actually, you know, seen the brand before and actually um, it, it's at Canvas events. I feel like it was at Hall Flowers like several times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so help us understand a bit more about that business. Uh, you know, have you exited the business or do you still own it? And, and sort of, you know, what learnings from that? have you taken to Timeless?
1: Yeah. So we started that all while doing Timeless um, and the print shop uh, back in like 2013, I believe around that time. Um, So no, that company is currently dissolved. Um, We did learn a lot that we have been able to apply to cannabis, um, you know, in the fact that um, consumer packaged goods, working with convenience stores and grocery stores, like big box stores. So the the business side of things on how, at least with how we uh, as a company look at the industry um, as, a, as a consumer packaged goods um, point of view, uh, that's, that there's a lot of aspects from a business standpoint that apply just obviously with tweaks to be able to um, adjust to the cannabis side. Um, but again that one was built well that company also was built with the 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 thought of a community as well and being able to um it was really the name you know obviously is you know a little it's a little aggressive but the whole concept was um to really create that education on how important water specifically alkaline water was in daily lives and the, the name just kind of was more of a marketing tool um, and you know we kind of took that and tried to take a negative connotation but spin it for a positive um, but uh, we definitely learned a lot there um you know the beverage industry i would say in my opinion um is probably one of the hardest industries to kind of crack um uh what cannabis i think is going towards that uh that direction as well um but yes a lot of learnings and um you know i wouldn't wouldn't no regrets for that
0: yeah if i'm looking at just the the instagram of the two companies molly water and timeless it it certainly seems like a a lot of sort of the lifestyle that you guys have tried to differentiate with um, you can kind of see inspiration and your experience strong from that going back, I, I guess now like 13 years even. Um, so you can certainly connect the two, um, from a marketing brand standpoint. Yes. And, and then how are you guys funded? Um, at the moment
1: we are self-funded. Um, we have not taken any outside money, um, at all at this point. So, um, yeah, no, it's, I think that's a little bit of differentiation and with, uh, people in the industry.
0: Yeah, no, certainly very differentiated. So, uh, I I guess to be more specific as well, then, and I do agree, you guys are rare in in that regards. Um, have you been able to sort of reinvest profits from the business into it, or has it been kind of, you know, money from you and your partners to continue to fund expansion and, and growth?
1: Uh, no, it's uh, it's uh, we've been expanding internally, and we, you know, up until two thousand, I believe, uh, seventeen, um, we, you know, none of where we have all just worked with what the business has brought in, um, and uh, yeah, we've been very fortunate.
0: Yeah, so so have you guys? I, I'm sure investors have maybe hit you up. Uh, you've probably had investor conversation. Um, Uh, Help us understand a bit more about sort of why not take outside money and and grow this even faster. Like what's the thinking there?
1: Um, Yeah, we've been approached uh, numerous times. Uh, We've had conversations uh, when when our president, Josh Hershey, came on, um, you know, we were at a point in 2017, 18, where cash flow was very tight. Um, We were profitable, but it was just it was just the cash flow, you know, which I think a lot of people deal with. so initially, that was part of the reason um, of bringing uh, Josh on as well uh, was to help kind of uh, entertain um, that part of the business. So you know, we, we again we we've had we've had conversations. I think that with our particular model, like I said, up until recent, um, nobody really wanted to work within that model um, in regards to the reverse licensing deal. Uh, so we were limited to how fast we could grow anyways. I think that, you know, when you do take in, uh, financial help it, uh, you're obligated to those investors. And I felt that, um, you know, it just like you would have to put that money to work and we didn't really have the, our model wasn't built to go as fast as you can go. Um, you know, we're very deliberate on what we do, um, as a company. And like I mentioned, to set up operations in every state is very, you know, very thoughtful. Um, so we, we can only move, um, at a certain pace anyways, um, unless we were trying to, you know, in the past, unless we were to do a traditional licensing deal.
0: So, so you're saying investors didn't like the, the model that you had on reverse licensing.
1: Um, no, I, I think it, uh, we, as a, as a company, we were looking at it and if we took in the money, um, like we've had, you know, like I said, we talked to bankers, we had conversations where, you know, they wanted to give us a very big number to, to, as an investment, but we wouldn't know what to do with that money. And we, you know, there's just a lot of intricacies that, that, that play a part when you are using other people's money. And I just, I personally just had never grown up that way. Um, So for, for, it was just, it was one of those things that was a gift and a curse, I guess, that turned out to be something that um, has worked to this point.
0: Yeah, and and to confirm, you guys are profitable today.
1: Correct. We're funding uh, all of our growth um, through what the business brings in.
0: Great. And and then let's, let's talk about, you know, certain markets that may be larger markets. Um, are there markets you got close to entering that you're not in today? And it kind of helped me understand sort of why it didn't make sense to enter those markets.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, our, our plan is to have about two or three new markets by end of the year. Um, there are two that um, I believe will be open within four to six months. Um, but, uh, the, you, know, the, you know, we're still trying to crack California like everybody else is. Um, so, you know, with, and then also with Missouri just going wreck, um, we are spending a lot of time there, um, supporting our team there. Um, and Oklahoma is at a point to right now where our team is excellent there. So, and then Ohio, we're, you know, we're very bullish on um, with, based on how the landscape is there and then if, it does go wreck in the near future. I think we're positioned very well.
0: Yeah, and, and let's jump in a bit more to California. That's that's a, a state where MSOs have chosen to pull back. It certainly has had a lot of changes uh, and challenges recently. Um, I've heard pricing is actually back on the up and up. Um, yeah, I get it's border to where you guys are, are headquartered in Arizona, but why do you still stay in California today? Day and, and want to you know carve out greater market share there. So
1: <clears throat> at the end of the day, I think with uh, with timeless as a company, we, like we're we long term play. Um, I we try to look at things from you know uh, you know holistically to be able to kind of evaluate where we think that where we want the brand to be in 10, 5, 10 years, twenty years from now. Um, I think that if you know in, in our particular a business model, you know, where we are concentrating on the, the consumer package goods side, uh, you know, to build a brand, right? So from a brand standpoint, um, in any industry, um, I believe you have to be relevant in California and New York. Um, those are the two big markets. So, you know, if we have our, you know, we're very, we're, like you mentioned, where it's very close to our headquarters. Um, so we are able to give a lot of support to our team out there. And we, um are definitely conscious of what's going on from a you know supply chain standpoint, you know, all the way up to the you know the retail. Um, so we we're, we're, our strategy is really working with our current dispensary partners and really engaging those local communities, um but all being, you know, all while being conscious of you know what that looks like from a financial standpoint. Um, but I think long term, um, to answer your question, you have to be relevant in California and you have to be relevant in New York if you want to be a brand.
0: And on that point regarding New York, what's the current thinking from a timeless standpoint on entry into that market?
1: Um, we are in discussions with multiple groups where, you know, essentially just trying to figure out the, the, the whole thing in cannabis is all about timing, um, I believe. So, That one, uh, it's a little rough right now based on what information we've gathered, Um, but uh, we're in close communication with a couple groups, just kind of keeping our ear to the ground there.
0: Yep, that makes sense. I think as of today, there's still only about five or six adult-use dispensaries in the state. There's some brands that are in it because they feel the need to be in it today, and then others are kind of sitting back and waiting until there's greater number of retail available in the state, um, a, a bit similar to how some people feel about California, where you know probably 850 physical retailers today, but I think people want to see that number grow even more, right? Because I, I think it's still about 65 to 70% of California municipalities do not have retail.
1: Right. I think that's the key, because I believe I saw an article just recently about New York is very similar in that aspect of the local m- municipalities not granting uh, cannabis uh, operations. And so I believe there was very limited um, townships or municipalities in New York uh, that allow cannabis anyways.
0: Yeah. And, and then, you know, something that's pretty unique about you guys that I, I can kind of tell uh, from an outsider's perspective is you guys sort of test out a, a lot of different collabs and, and brands and, and ideas, right? Like, uh, you got to tell me more about this. <laughs> This one idea that that sounds a little crazy, but you guys had launched like a timeless Cheetos vape, it sounded like, in in three markets.
1: Yeah, no, that was actually an April Fool's joke. Okay. Um, So yeah, no, but we definitely do uh, experiment a lot in the lab. Um, We are very uh, prideful in the fact that we do release a lot of um, unique blends um, to kind of, you know, really it was designed to uh create that hype and that consistent conversation with our consumers um and then in regards to collaborations um you know coming from streetwear um you know specifically like supreme and the Bapes and all that you know they were built on local community and collaborations and so um to be honest uh we have a an accessory in our um in timeless, uh, the, our flip case, uh, which is essentially just a, a essentially just a holder or a case for your vape cartridge, so that when you put it in your pocket, you don't get lint in your your cartridge uh, mouthpiece, and also protects the actual um, battery unit. Um, we use that that uh, particular accessory as our calling card, where we do a lot of collaborations with um, artists and. Um, local community restaurants and whatnot. Uh, and so that, that was inspired by Supreme, um, specifically their, their skateboard, their skate deck collections that they've done over, since 98. Um, it really was our skateboard in, in, a, in a sense um, to be able to tell the story of the collaboration and the artists that we're working with
0: yeah, no, and, and I think that's a, a great idea. Uh, that's certainly a, a problem I have with vape cards. So uh I, I've seen you guys really push the flip case, including one of your recent artist collaborations. Um, so you guys, it, it sounds like on that, just to confirm, uh it's proprietary to you, you designed it. Uh whereas for the vape hardware, you work with uh a, a different manufacturer, you worked with uh, a tilt and, and their subsidiary Jupiter. Um, and the reason I bring that up more so is your main competitor, you know, excluding some of the MSOs that have top vape brands is STEEZY. STEEZY has kind of their own proprietary tech and and hardware, Um, but you guys to confirm are using third party, right? Correct. And and sort of, do you think that's an advantage, a disadvantage? Uh, Give us some additional thoughts on on kind of why you've chosen to go that route.
1: Um, It was, you know, it was, I think in the beginning when we just, when we first met Jupiter in general, you know from a business standpoint it was being self-funded uh, we kind of had to pick our battles um you know at that if you would ask me you know a few years ago when pod started coming out you know like i had an opportunity to shift that way um whether it was ours or a third party and it was just more of a limitation from a business standpoint um but if we look at it now as a consumer in general um not necessarily just cannabis but you look at when people look at brands i mean consistency um and efficiency uh from an experience side of things is very is a huge part of of uh getting a loyal customer to stay loyal so i mean the you know the the performance and the efficiencies of the 510 battery the c cell in particular um, we've ne- we haven't to this point, knock on wood, um, had any huge issues, um, on that side of things. So for us, it, um, it just never, it, it hasn't been anything that we've thought of, uh, in regards to shifting off yet. I mean, there, there's, it comes up every once in a while, but, uh, you know, up into this point right now, it, we haven't had our problems. So, you know, why fix something that's not broke, especially with the, having that flip case, um, component to
0: it. Yeah, I kind of figured it was something about just our whole conversation of, of you saying, uh, you know, like staying in, in your lane, right? So you guys are really good at sort of the distillate, bringing, bringing sort of the culture to, to the vape category and some of the other categories you've entered, uh, you know, hardware may not be the background of you and, and your partners, so why kind of mess with it, right? Correct. And not- then
1: not saying that it would ever, it would change in the future. Um, again, uh we're always looking to innovate, um, all aspects of the business. So, you you know, time will tell.
0: Yep. Yep. No, makes sense. Um, big commitment though. if you're trying to design your own sort of vape hardware and tech, um, but sounds like you guys being profitable certainly have that as an option sometimes down the line. Um, you know, you know, going back to sort of that point about Stizzy, um, if you guys are trying to be, the top eight brands, how, how do you go about sort of overtaking their market position? Uh, help us understand what you do really well versus what STEEZY or other competitors that may be a a top five independent brand, um, are, are doing.
1: Um, I, you know, uh, obviously STEEZY has done an amazing job with what they're doing and uh, have done, Um, I think the space in general uh, is a big enough space where multiple people can live and survive and thrive. So, um, you know, it's, uh, they, they 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 have similar, uh, based on what I've seen, you know, they have a similar, um, uh, I guess, model, you know, they, they, they've seemed like they've built a pretty nice community um, as well, um, you know, I think we have a different look and feel than they do. Um, but uh, again, there's enough to go around, in, in, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, got it. The the category certainly is big enough for several brands to, to do well. Do you guys, so outside of California, do you guys compete head-to-head in, in any other markets with them today?
1: Uh, yes, in Arizona... We are, they've been here for a couple of years. Um let's see. And I believe that would be the only out of our five. Arizona. Yeah,
0: so so I guess help me understand, you know, as they've come into Arizona and then you've kind of come into California, which is their home market. Um, you know, they've certainly kept their market share. You've kept your market share Um. What what sort of has worked for you guys to kind of keep that lead over them in Arizona, and then I guess you know theoretically in the future if there's a third market that you compete in, what do you think some of those points of distinction from a consumer standpoint are between the two brands?
1: Um, the obvious is the you know at the moment is the hardware. They're obviously they're a pod and we're five ten. Um, I think uh, again their demographic and their look and feel is different than us. Um so we, you know, our demographic is different um, in a sense. I think some if, if, you know, even though it may from an age demographic standpoint, we probably overlap a lot. But um from a uh, culture and community, I guess it's a little bit different. Um so I think uh, we'll we'll continue to we'll continue to uh, engage with our, you know, demographic, you know, as well as I believe that they will with theirs. Um, so I think, uh, like I mentioned it, it to, to me, like they're not going anywhere and I think it's just going to be a side-by-side situation. It's just, you know, depending on it'll, you know, depending on who's on top, um, in a particular market, I think it's just kind of based on, you know, what that demographic looks like that are related to each of the brands.
0: Yeah, no, it will be interesting because you guys are, I call it today, you know, West coast and then a, a bit Midwest, but you know, how the brand might translate into like the Northeast, for example, as you'll probably go into New York uh, soon, you know, and I bring this up because it seems like certain markets sort of have their dominant bait brands, right? Like when I think of Massachusetts, I, I think Burnway maybe has like the top bait brand there. So right. curious if, if that's been a part of the valuation, like can I come in with my brand into a market like mass and, and sort of disrupt whoever's in that top spot? Um, how do you guys think about whether or not to enter a market
1: um, so yeah, we're a little more calculated now um, than we were a few years ago. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, being on the West Coast and having more of the, the history of and, and the time uh, to be able to really develop a brand, I think, you know, the West Coast has had more time. Um, I think, like you mentioned, in Massachusetts, Fernway, yeah, you know, we're aware of them. Um, you know, I think, It goes back to the way we, our model is, I believe, is that cannabis is very local. Um, So our model fits that perfectly in regards to how we um, strategize is that we have to have local talent to be able to succeed. Um, So I think uh, we're not, I think in regards to identifying new territories, um, you know, I think we are open to go to the east coast pretty much anywhere um you know knowing that what we have have succeeded in failed in um so we feel you know a lot of like you know stizzy i think they'll do really well as they move across coast as well so um i think the advantage is just having that experience and time um, on the west coast um as we start to move east
0: and then let's let's go back, uh, uh, you know, and talk about what we spoke about earlier, which I think is really unique for you guys. Um, you're actually profitable um, in a time when canvas market, the canvas capital market, is very challenging. So help me understand, you know, how many employees? Where do you guys sort of allocate uh, some of your profits, and how are you guys able to be profitable and stay profitable in this environment?
1: Um, I so we. You know being and being from Arizona, I think it has been a blessing as well. i th- I think the the program in Arizona um, allowed us to be able to become a profitable company. I think with the just the way that the it's limited license, but the the DHS which is the governing board has been very, you know for the most part easy to work with um in regards to having a successful program. I mean, we were a ten-year medical program. Um, so when we did go rec it uh, it was for, for the most part an easy transition. Um, so yeah, well, currently we're out of around 150 employees um, uh, across the company. Um, we, you know, with our particular model, um, you know, we have a lower capex to enter a market. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, um, and then. You know, we are very conscious of our, our balance sheet and P&Ls and um, we, you know, we like I said, we've been doing this for a long time. So we know what levers to kind of pull um, and what not to pull. So um, I think it's really the focus of, you know, for us, it's we're, for us in particular, it's we're really just concentrating on, you know, branded products, right? We're not, we don't do anything with cultivation. We do extract in some of our territories. Um, but we don't do any retail. Um, so I think it's just staying hyper focused on building a brand and building a brand only.
0: And why do you extract in some markets and, and not others? Because I'd imagine you want to probably extract in almost every market for that consistency.
1: Correct. Um, so as as markets mature, um, there's just been a you know, what I've what we've seen is that um being going back like being like our main goal is to be a brand so at the end of the day um everything in between um you know specifically in the operational or uh you know production standpoint um if there's going to be someone that can extract or produce at a more efficient rate than we can um that's that works fine i mean at the end of the day like our core product is a distillate vape and that is probably i would say the number one vape starting um um, ingredient so as markets mature and we can source it for cheaper um as long you know as long as it meets our specs um we're open to entertaining that
0: and, and help me understand the other products that you guys have and, and other brands, I should say, also beyond B. So tell us more about it and sort of, uh, you know, roughly how successful are they? What kind of market share are we looking at?
1: Um, so right now we are putting a lot of focus on our infused pre-roll. Um, the name of it's called Tumble, um, Tumble by Timeless. So that one has seen a lot of success. Uh, it's currently only in Arizona. Um, I believe we're top three infused pre-roll in Arizona um, in that category. Uh, so that that particular one, we we're we're, we're building the foundation, and um, our goal is to kind of launch that in line with timeless in our other markets when the time is right. Um, we you know we kind of look at our portfolio. Um, like we we look at it from a standpoint of categories um, and brands so for us um, we look at a little bit differently where a lot of our competitors or people just in the space um, they have a brand and then they have multiple products slash cat and and multiple categories under the same name Um, again thinking long term whether this turns out to be the right decision or not, um, you know, we look at it as that each brand should stand alone in its own category. Um, so that's the reason why we don't just name it timeless pre-roll infused pre-roll. Um, we do want that association though. Um, so the tumble by timeless um, or um, our other products that are on a little bit of a smaller scale, um, like canary by timeless or joylo low by timeless. Um, but our two main Products right now um, that we're focusing on heavily is our infused pre-roll and um our vape one.
0: And then when did you make the decision to launch infused Pre-Rolls? Is it seeing sort of the success of, of someone like Jeter, who, you know, started in California, I think also is, is now in Arizona. Um, you know, when, when do you guys make a decision to enter a new category?
1: Um so we we saw so I believe we relaunched Tumble in 2021 20, of January or 22. Um, so that that was based on, you know, seeing the growth of you know, the infused pre-roll market. Yes, in California and Jeter has done an excellent job um, kind of building that, that category. Um, infused pre-rolls have been around for you know you know in arizona they were here four or five years ago it's just on a smaller scale but um jeter is obviously taking it to another level but um we we felt that we felt comfortable at that time when we did launch tumble um that we were prepared to be able to handle another brand internally um you know those other brands i mentioned have have had might have been created beforehand but it's just the lack of focus but um uh, with the infused pre-roll, it, it, there's a lot of ties with, um, you know, us infusing it with, you know, diamonds or in our flavoring as uh, we kind of cross a blend the flavors that we have on, on Timeless um, within Tumble. Um, so there's a lot of synergies there that allowed us to make a decision to, you know, think that we can, you know, have that particular product that aligned with our Timeless core products.
0: Got it. And, and then help me understand what sort of the, the goals you have for timeless. So you know, five years from now, what does timeless look like?
1: Um, I would I would love the goal to 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 be able to have timeless as a household name in the cannabis space. Um, that's whether it's five years, ten years. Um, obviously things can change, but uh, that that has been the goal since twenty seventeen is to 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 strive to make Timeless a household name.
0: And let's just say in, in a scenario where we don't have that realization by that point in time, right? Cause who knows when that's gonna happen and you're only limited to certain states that are legal for adult use. Is there a certain number of states you wanna be in? Is there a revenue target? Is there sort of a market share target?
1: Um, You know, I think uh, so we're currently at five, hopefully by seven or eight by end of the year. Um, you know, I think like you mentioned, it's not going to be anytime soon, you know, it could, it could be five years at probably minimum. Um, so by that time, you know, if we, if we are opening two to three states should be around, you know, three, five, four, 12, like 20 ish, 22. Um, I mean, I think, you can look at, yeah, either, you know, revenue target or, I mean, for us, again, as long as we're having fun as the, as a small group that we have here, um, from a leadership standpoint, I think we'll continue to go and push for that. Um, so that's, we don't really have a set target of, hey, when we hit this revenue number, we're going to look to sell or anything like that. I think it's um, more so um, internally how we feel. Um but but with all as long as we're all aligned on the fact that, you know, the core, you know, messaging of the company is consistent from day, from since, you know, since day one.
0: And from an exit standpoint, what's your view on that? Do you guys want to build this to be an independent company far into the future? I'm sure you guys, you know, give, given one of your competitors is select and, and they got bought out about four years ago. I'm sure you've been hit up by buyers. What's your thinking on staying independent versus selling to one of the larger companies? Um that's a good question.
1: Um again, I think it's it's we want to be in a position to where if we are entertaining that, um, we would love to be in a position to have a decision to make versus being distressed. So, really, that's kind of how me personally, how I look at it is. As long as we're having fun and we're and we're making progress and always, you know, always staying innovative, um, you know, with that time comes, um, you know, it's not really something that, again, not based on a specific target is, I think it's more about, you know, where we are as a company internally.
0: And I have to ask this question, sorry if you, you hate getting it, but given I'm sure you've been compared to cookies and you guys have a large number of SKUs on the apparel and sort of non-cannabis product side, um, what's the thinking on, on trying to, to build you know, that side to be larger and, and maybe even in some cases having the non-cannabis side lead the cannabis side into a market? So for example, if, if you push into New York, and you're very well known from a brand apparel standpoint, and then you come when the the time is right for the cannabis side, what's been the thinking around that, especially seeing someone like Cookies achieve a a very good success on on that? Yeah,
1: no, uh, we're definitely actively working on, you know, that internally to make sure that our processes are are right there. Um, But yes, that would be, it's aligned with with you know our pillars right so it's the community the culture, so I, I think it's definitely something that. You know, we have to as we're as we're building this airplane as we're flying it it is definitely one of those components that we are actively looking at right now to make more efficient. Um, but yes, that uh, we definitely are, are are wanting to improve that that arm of the business, um, because it does help the overall company in general plus it's you know what where, where the com- kind of the company kind of started so it's definitely a goal of ours um, to be able to make that successful
0: and in this tough environment for cannabis companies where they're struggling you're seeing some operators sort of shut down or be very distressed and, and kind of what you mentioned earlier sell when they don't really want to um How does that affect you guys? I assume, you know, it's giving you a chance to increase just even more market share from competitors that may be smaller that are going away, but how else is this current environment impacting you guys in a positive or negative way?
1: Um, I think, uh, like you mentioned earlier in the conversation, the capital markets are like crickets right now. So I think it's, it's allowing us to be able to be very flexible and really... Put the uh, pedal to the metal here, I guess, in a sense, because you know, with you know, capital, when you do have large, um, large groups of money coming in from the capital markets, it does speed up things for other people. So for us, it's an advantage because we now can work within our, um, our within our strengths and you know, put our head down and open up a few states and operate them and, you know, get the, you know, get the people in place, get the engagement. Um, So for us, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, when during these times, um, it's allowing us to really um, dictate our, you know, our movements and how we, how we operate.
0: Right. It seems to me from my observation, you guys have never been one anyhow to kind of go faster because that's what the competition is raising and, and is you know spending capital to do, right? So as an example of like, where Select may have been back in 2018 or where STEEZY even may have been in 2019 and, and maybe you know, 2020 and, and more recently even. Um, so it seems like it didn't really impact you guys to have to to rush and, and run faster than you wanted to because you were competitors. But I, I guess it's a, probably a better feeling knowing that you don't really have to because they're not moving as fast as they used to.
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, again, being in the cannabis for 10 years, um, obviously, you've seen select and then Stizzy from inception. Um, Yeah, no, there, you know, again, I think that especially in the 16, 17, like 17, 18, 19, when when capital markets were starting to kind of flood in like uh, from that that point, um, you know, it was definitely something that was concerning. Um, Again, I think we really didn't have a choice, right? Like we could have, but also like, you know, when, when we did have those conversations with potential investors, it was, you know, looking at how the industry in general, how it operates from state to state, It you're very limited unless you are taking huge chunks of money. And at that point, we just didn't have that. Um, we didn't have that, uh, that capability. Um, so again, like it's, it was a gift and a curse, I guess, in a sense, but Um, Yeah, I know we've been very fortunate, uh, again, because of, you know, capital markets on pause right now and the limitations um, in each territory cannabis programs that uh, allows us to be um, move a little more methodically.